The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. At that time, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow us. Jesus replied, Do not prevent him. There is no one who performs a mighty deed in my name who can at the same time speak ill of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, and then I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck and if he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than with two hands to enter into Gehenna, into the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than with two feet to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The Gospel of the Lord. Many of you will remember that scene from the movie and the play, A Man for All Seasons, when St. Thomas More has been condemned because of the perjury of an old friend, a young man who has lied about a conversation that he had with St. Thomas More, suggesting that St. Thomas More denied the king's title. And as he is leaving the courtroom, St. Thomas says, that's an emblem you have, a symbol of office. What office is it? And he is told that this young man has been made attorney general for Wales. And St. Thomas says, why Richard? One should not give one's soul for the whole world, but for Wales. But that was his idol, wasn't it? That young man, power, ambition. That was his hand, his foot and his eye, for which he would sell everything, including his soul. This is an interesting gospel. There's a lot in it. It begins, though, with John, the beloved disciple, sweet, innocent John. Isn't so sweet and innocent. He's angry. Remember, he and his brother James wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans because they refused to let them enter their town. 
And now he's angry because someone is driving out demons in your name, but they're not one of us. And our Lord basically says to him, good is good even if you didn't do it. Uh, it's a tough thing for some people to realize. They get very angry because of someone else's goodness, that they didn't do it. They may be angry because they don't get the credit for it, or they may be envious because they don't have that kind of goodness. They've never developed it. They've never willed it. But John was like that. I said, no, no, no. Good is good. Even if you didn't will it, it is good. But then he begins to speak about something else, because whoever is not for us is against us. And now there's a lesson in love that we should all know, because it's so basic and so simple that most people miss it completely. Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will surely not lose his reward. In other words, some small act of kindness done with love could have an incredible effect on the person who has loved and on the other person as well. We've learned that from the, the gospel all the time, from the saints, like Therese of Lisieux. She's taught us that, that little acts of kindness done with love have an infinite value. Our Lord gives us the example of giving a cup of water to do it with love. Notice, he doesn't say with affection. He says with love. It may be that we don't want to give that person a cup of water. We don't like that person. We don't think they even deserve a cup of water. But we give it to them, but we give it to them out of love. It's just because we know we should do it, even though we don't feel like doing it at all. That can have an incredible effect on the individual. We're always looking for big acts of love when we have heaven right here in little acts of love. In any event, he then goes on to speak about scandal uh, and about the, the effect of scandal and what happens to people who cause it. It's a pretty dramatic statement. Remember, though, when our Lord speaks in this way, that Hebrew didn't have a superlative. So they had to exaggerate, and they understood that. They would make dramatic statements to get the point across. It's called Semitic hyperbole, an exaggeration to make a point. But if they had a millstone tied around his neck and were thrown into the sea, that's pretty dramatic, don't you think? Um, scandals are always with us. And of course, today, the world in which we live loves scandal, especially when it comes to the church. They will ignore everybody else, even cover up for them, except for the church. And people will say to me, and people will say to me, well, look at that scandal. I've told you this before. My response always is, well, look at that saint. That's why we'll keep my eyes. This is a, the media doesn't like us. So they're going to keep bringing up scandals. Are there scandals? Of course. Our Lord said there would be, always be scandals in his church until the end of time. But you know, statistically, according to the federal government, that isn't overly fond of the Catholic Church, in case you haven't noticed, uh, Catholic institutions and Catholic priests are the squeakiest clean people in the country when it comes to dealing, with, for instance, with, well, let's say minors or anything else you might want to talk about. But you're not going to hear that uh, because the, media, the country wants to focus on scandal. First of all, it makes money. People watch it. They listen to it. And again, we're the enemy because we won't give in. But then our Lord goes on to speak of other things. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your foot, cut it off. Your eye, gouge it out. Now, he's not suggesting mutilation of the body, which is a grave moral evil. It's a grave moral evil to mutilate the body, to mutilate healthy organs. 
if an organ becomes infected and endangers the whole, then it can be removed because it endangers the whole, the person. Other than that, though, we have to respect the integrity of the organs. The only other time you could have an organ removed would be if, if you were going to donate an organ of which we have two, like a kidney or something. But you can't do it for any other reason. And our world has no problem mutilating the body whatsoever. Sterilization. Uh, and now we are told, people actually believe this, that if the mind has a problem and thinks that it's one gender and the body is in, is in effect another one, then what you ought to do is mutilate the body for the sake of the mind. But the answer is no. You do something with the mind. There's a problem here in the psyche. That's what you deal with. Now, it may be that nothing can be done and the person will have to live with tension all their lives. But mutilation is a grave moral evil. We have to be aware of that and proclaim it in a rather crazy world. In any event, our Lord tells us that we must not mutilate our body, but to get rid of everything in our lives that doesn't belong to him. Now, the fathers of the church saw this in a different way. For the fathers of the church, the, the hand, the foot, and the eye were symbols of people who were so persistent in their evil, they were always dragging other people into their evil with them. And those have to be cut off from our lives, cut off and thrown away, gouged out, people who draw us into evil. And they're out there all the time in our world. And we don't, in fact, sometimes I think we get so used to them, we don't even notice them anymore. People want to draw us into evil. Sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes we become accustomed to it. We're comfortable with it. We don't want to cut it out. We don't want to push that away. We're afraid. Afraid we might be lonely. Afraid it might cause us some pain or some sacrifice. Well, so what? Our Lord says it has to go. We must remove from our lives, not our bodies, but everything that would drag us into sin. As I said, for many people, that's a strange concept. They simply don't want to deal with that reality. My Lord then goes on to say, better that be, to be rid of these things than to be thrown into Gehenna. Gehenna was a garbage dump south of Jerusalem where they burned garbage all the time. It was always on fire. It became a symbol of hell. Um, and our Lord uses that as an example to us. Now, you and I don't have to worry about anything. We can overcome these things, whatever it might be, because we have the strength given to us, particularly the strength of the Eucharist. The Lord comes to us with his strength to make it possible for us to overcome all things that might come against us and to rip out from ourselves anything that has become a hindrance to his love. Uh, and there was a, a man named William Cowper, I think, died in 1800. Uh, who had a reflection on this about the idols in our lives, the idols that we don't even admit exist because we don't like to think that we're capable of such things. But he said, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my frame. So pure the light that marks the road that leads me to the Lamb. A very good thought.
and one that we should make our own.